Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Michael Young will join us to discuss the illness of medicine. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, the medical business today has become so overwhelming that many may feel that the system is completely broken. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Michael Young. Dr. Young was formerly the section chairman of urology at two Chicago area medical centers, as well as the residency program director. He currently retains his clinical assistant professorship in the Department of Urology at the University of Illinois. He has penned the new book, The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice, and he joins today to discuss this issue for a general audience. Dr. Young, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Well, a book that medical care is like from both sides of the table is why you decided to put this book together. Well, that was exactly the reason. I practiced in urological surgery for 28 years in Chicago. And towards the end of that time period, I became increasingly frustrated with witnessing a failure both of patients' understanding of what providers were going through and similarly what many of my colleagues were failing to do, which was to understand the dynamics and the changes that patients had to deal with, the obstacles they had to treatment. And it became painfully obvious to me that this difference, this this gap between patient and provider, which for many years had been such a close link, was now becoming widened. And part of the reason for that was what I feel is the issues of healthcare, which is mainly that of the problem of healthcare becoming more entrenched in the business of healthcare. And I wanted to write about it. I wanted to describe both of those events, both as a patient and as a provider, something that I feel I was positioned to do so. What things have changed since you started? Well, certainly I would say 30 years ago, the relationship between the patient and the physician was one that the binding agreement, if you will, between the two. The patient had a problem, the physician sought to resolve it. What evolved, I would say, over the last decade, perhaps slightly longer, is that what's become in the middle is the process of business whereby premiums, the, the money that the patient is putting forth to get care is becoming more dissolved among a variety of entities. There is no longer this direct communication as hospitals have started to buy out practices, which I was witnessing. Many of my colleagues were simply throwing in the towel. As we are sitting today, 45% of all physician practices are owned by a hospital or a hospital corporate setting. And what that does is it takes away that relationship. Now the physician is an employee. Now he has a quota system. Now he has to see X number of patients in a certain period of time. The management of a particular problem for that patient is set according to certain predicate or rules or uh, a cookbook, if you will, of how things are to be managed. And so 
what I was witnessing is that intimacy of that relationship, customization, what have you, the mechanism by which the patient could be treated was becoming more and more detached from that direct relationship. Concomitantly, we were seeing an evolution as a means to increase efficiency with the hospitalist system, which I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with. Why? Because the the hospitals were realizing that they could be more efficient, if you will, by those owned practices, keeping the physicians in the office rather than having them go back and forth to the hospital to see patients. And as an effort to increase, I would say, monetary efficiency, what has been lost is the fact that the patient no longer had their trusted physician at their bedside at the time when they needed it most. Then we are seeing an evolution of the electronic healthcare record. We're seeing how the patients, again, are relying more and more on an intermediary. They can't just call the physician with a question. Now they have to go through a portal. So I I would argue that it isn't any one of these things, but I would say over the last decade, we have seen this evolution of separating the patient from the physician in, in ways we couldn't have imagined 20 years ago. And it ends up that the physician really is out of touch with what's really going on with the patient, and the patient has no perspective of what the physician is going through. You know, if you look at at physicians' work today, 50% of their day is spent on administrative and electronic healthcare record duties. Only 26, 27% of a patient of a physician's day is spent taking care of patients. So the patients don't understand that the physician is now being pulled into directions that he or she could not control. Why? Because they are no longer in charge of their own practice. So it's a complex problem. Obviously, there are many fingers to point in many directions. I have my own perspective, having been entrenched in it. But I wanted to write about this, and I wanted to make some of these perspectives tangible for people. One would guess that the drive towards types of efficiencies was that this would improve patient health care. Clearly, it hasn't. But why is it that inefficiencies that have arisen haven't been recognized and dealt with? I, I don't want to sound so cynical because I'm not a cynical individual. Rather, I am rather optimistic. But I do feel, unfortunately, that the takeover, if you will, of medicine has been uh, driven by profit-seeking. I do feel, unfortunately, that the the old statement, the answer is money, now ask me a question, applies. That I do think it is money. We look at the drivers, if you will, of the healthcare industry, and it really is corporate America. It is the insurance industry. It is the pharmaceutical and device industry. They are the main players that are controlling how the money is spent, and unfortunately, those who control that will control everything beneath it. So I do feel that it is the, the patient has become the, you know, it has become the tool, if you will, their health, their health dollar has become a tool. If I choose to purchase something, anything, a car, what have you, I can go online, I can find the price, I can go to a dealership. I'd like anyone to try to do that with their health care. Call a hospital and find out what their knee replacement will be. And they won't get an answer. It's opaque. What they will get is another question. And the question is a very interesting one. The question isn't, what is your problem? The question is, what is your insurance? Because the insurance companies dictate the cost of, of health care. 
it is a, a non-tangible, it's almost like grasping into the air because you are not going to get a fixed price for any particular goods and service. So I do feel that the insurance industry has had a great deal of control. If you look at how the industry, the insurance industry manages compensation to hospitals or contracts to hospitals, to your point about it trying to be about health care, yes, it is indirectly. It is about that, but it's not about value. It's about volume. So insurance contracts to a hospital are predicated on volume. I can very clearly remember sitting in any number of departmental meetings, and it's very interesting. One would think that when we talk about operations and procedures performed in a given period of time, what would be foremost would be the, the mortality and morbidity that occurs. No, that occurred at the bottom of the discussion. The first slides that were always presented was volume. How many did so-and-so do? How many of X, Y, or Z did we do? Because the hospital administration knew that predicated on that number was the determinant of the rates of insurance and with whom they could get insurance through. And that, of course, dictated what group of patients they could attract through various managed care plans who had their insurance with company X or Y. So it's a subtle finding. You are absolutely correct. It's ultimately to help health care, but it's being done so in a manner, in a manner to increase payment, minimize operating costs, trying to become a very efficient business machine. Bring up an interesting point about price transparency, and there's the new rule that's going into effect. Do you think that will help change a little bit of the dynamic? Yes, I, I do agree. You know, these are all baby steps, and I don't want to sound completely dismissive that the whole system needs to be thrown out. I don't. There are many good people, and there are many people with good intent, and I do feel that if we change perhaps the system of payment, I do have my perspectives on that. But this gets back to my original point that if you can control the flow of money, you are going to control, I feel, outcomes. Look, if people had access to health care, right now they don't. Right now, half of America can't, can't afford a $500 medical bill. They don't have the, the, they can't afford it. They don't have the access. Who is in charge of access and affordability? I would argue it's those who are dealing with the payment systems, therefore the insurance industry. From my perspective, and I, I say this trying to be apolitical, but trying to be respective of the current situation we're in, if we had a single payer system, we would alleviate much of the bureaucracy, much of the administrative waste that we currently have. Right now, health as a composite, health as an industry is the largest industry in the United States. It consumes, what, 17% of the GDP. It's enormous. If we could get a handle on this, we could, I think, improve health outcomes. If patients had insurance, we can talk about how they get it. But if patients had insurance, we do know that patients who are able to pay their, their bills with medicine are able to see the doctor more frequently. They have fewer ER visits. They have fewer hospitalizations. So if we had a single-payer system and eliminate this cloakness of vagary that we have with all these other insurance companies that are, as you stated, they're competing, yet they're not. We don't understand how they negotiate amongst themselves, 
But if we could eliminate all these variables and eliminate much of the ineptness, if you will, the, the dropping the ball, everybody seeing things through their own perspective, we would have a better system overall and I think a more efficient one in a healthier country. I mean, that's that's certainly a big lift considering the current dynamic we're in. Oh, huge. It, huge. It, it, listen, I, <laughs> it is huge. And I, I'm not trying to be some sort of a, of a medical rebel here. I had 30 years, nearly 30 years in practice, and I was in the front lines, and I had the opportunity to observe this evolution, this change, and concurrent with what you stated. Yes, if it took a generation, if it took 30 years to get here, perhaps it will take a generation to get back. It may take 20, 30 years. Right now, if you look at new physicians coming out, roughly 70% of all physicians beneath the age of 40 are owned by these corporate structures. Can we chip away at that? Can we change that? Can we incentivize some form of physicians getting back to that environment where they are in control of their patients as opposed to being dictated how things ought to be? Do we have to change the corporate structure? Do we have to change the payment structure? These are not easy tasks, but we got here. We can get back. We can get out of here. I don't think we can go where we were, but I think if we apply ourselves and think what do we need mostly, we need an efficient healthcare system, something that is lacking in the United States. Here we have the costliest healthcare system in the world. Bar none, we spend over $11,000 per capita, the most expensive. And if you look at what you're getting for that, Gee, we're 30th in the world in longevity. We're first in the world in obesity. We are relatively poor in infant mortality. We have an infant mortality rate, I believe it's around six per thousand, where the OECD average is 3.9 infant deaths per thousand. So you look at what we're paying, and we're getting really a very mediocre to poor healthcare outcome. And you have to say to yourself, something is wrong with the system. So I do feel change needs to be made. And I am a realist and certainly a cognitive of the fact that these wheels don't turn quickly, that you're dealing with corporate structures who have invested a great deal in controlling the system, and they are certainly not going to relinquish it quickly. But I do feel if we are to improve the health outcomes, we have to make changes. And from a financial standpoint, the current system we have is simply not sustainable. More and more people are having problems. We know that healthcare costs are the leading cause of personal bankruptcy. As I stated, half America can't afford a $500 medical bill. My God, this is just not a sustainable situation. We do have to make a change. What do you think are the steps individually that can drive the change forward? Well, as, it, as both of us have stated, we want to stay away from the politics, but it is the politics. We have to select individuals who represent us, who are of an equal mindset that we can't just simply look at the business of medicine. We have to look at what its prime directive was intended to be, i.e. improving the health outcomes of our citizenship. And I think the first step is one that was just recently done which is to try to put in a political position those who can make these changes. If you look at Biden's perspective of health care, 
he wants to expand the ACA. And I'm not saying that the ACA is perfect. Nobody feels that way. It was not a finished product. It's a starting point. And we need to continue moving that effort. He wants to expand it to make public alternatives available. So it isn't purely within the private sector that patients have to select an insurance. I think that just creates a continuation of the problem when you have more private companies controlling healthcare. We're, we're just spinning our wheels in the same direction. But uh, if he is also looking to lower the age of Medicare. So if we are able to get to a point of a single-payer system, Medicare for all, because of a political change, I think that's an important first step. The companies that we endorse, the companies that we support, and their perspective. We as a group are strong. Individuals are weak. But as a group, I feel that we can affect change, which was recently done. And again, I, this is not a political perspective for me. It's simply a state that who we choose will definitely have effects on our health care. In the mid-60s, Medicare, Medicaid evolved. 1965, I believe, 65, 66. Prior to that time, there was no nationalized health care system. That happened back then. What to say we can't do the same now, that we can't advance our socioeconomic needs by what happens in Washington. I think that's what we have to do. I'm not a political advocate. I'm a physician. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I realize that the, the purse strings are controlling how the system works. And those purse strings are managed by people who allow certain processes of healthcare to evolve. And I just feel we have to get control of the system. It, it just can't continue. You look at the cost of healthcare. Why is it so expensive? You know, I've mentioned several things about the inefficiency of how healthcare is managed. I think we have to look at other socioeconomic issues, look at the defensive medicine that is practiced. We live in this litigious environment that has become disastrous. We spend $200 billion a year on over-testing. Why? Well, because it is defensive. Everyone is out for someone's hide if, God forbid, an error occurs. And unfortunately, medicine is not perfect, but it is defensive. We also live in a disease-oriented environment. I talked about the business of medicine. I don't hear them advertising on television preventative health care. For instance, as a urologist, I dealt with erectile dysfunction. I never once saw an ad on television telling patients, you want to resolve ED, something that I would always tell my patients in the office. Let's look at your diet. Let's look at your alcohol consumption. Let's eliminate those cigarettes. Let's increase your sleep. Let's take more vacations. I can't sell that. What I can sell you is a little blue pill. What I can sell you is disease. I can brand disease. And we have done a wonderful job of that in America. We have your turn on the television. I think last year there were some 600,000 recorded drug advertisements broadcast on television. 600,000. We have branded disease. We have given it these cute names. We've given it the name low T. What is low T? Someone has low testosterone. Yeah, but only 5% of men with low testosterone actually are symptomatic as a consequence of it. Yet in environments where low testosterone has been advertised, we see a tenfold increase in the sales of drugs for it. 
it's still only 5%. But if I can sell it to you, I will. So we have a defensive environment. We have a, a disease-oriented society. We have a demanding society, right? We, we are demanding high tech. We are demanding robotic surgery when maybe it really doesn't need to be done. We have a system of 100 million CTs and MRIs done a year, 10 billion lab tests a year. So there's lots of reasons for these costs, and we have to get this under control. Any final words regarding the book? Uh, if people want to learn more, where, where could they go? Well, I appreciate it. Uh, the, the title of the book, The Illness of Medicine, we are on Amazon or through my publisher's website, which is gmbooks.com. But your listeners could find out more of my perspectives or purchase the book through my website, which is michaeljyoungmd.com. And I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to express these views. I don't do so casually, and I don't do so without what I like to say is I've had the experience on both sides. And I think it's high time that not only the public complains, but someone who's been within the, the world of medicine uh, comes out and, and tries to advocate for the patient because we really are in a mess. And I do feel if we can get our health care better, we, we could stimulate our economy. We could, we could improve things. So I'm not standing in a soapbox just because, but these are things that I've witnessed that I, I definitely feel we have the power to change. Well, we were just talking with Dr. Michael J. Young, his new book, The Illness of Medicine, Experiences of Clinical Practice. Dr. Young, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.